If you have a Bible, could you turn it to 2 Corinthians chapter 4? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're actually not going to hang out here today. We're going to hang out in 2 Kings, but I want to read one piece of scripture because this is kind of the framework we're going to operate in for this whole series that I'm about to launch starting today. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. As you're turning there, I want to welcome everybody in at our East location. Hey, can we say hello to everyone who's in at East? We love you guys. And then if you're snowed in today or you're watching online, we want to welcome you as well. Let's give them a round of applause. We love you. Come visit us sometime. All right, I'm glad you have some energy. I haven't preached in like three weeks and I need your help. You're going to help me preach, all right? Second Corinthians chapter 4. One of my favorite verses, and we're going to jump back into memory verses. So if you want to memorize a verse, here's the one this week. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. Paul says this, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I've almost got it. Now watch this. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. How do you look to something unseen? We'll get to that. As you look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're temporal, temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. This is the word of the Lord. I want to pray and then we're going to jump in to a brand new series. Would you pray with me one more time? God, we ask today, as we come to a very counterintuitive concept of seeing what we don't see, we ask Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the same Spirit that touched blind eyes and let them see in the physical and the natural, God, I pray that you would touch the eye of our heart and let us see through the gift of faith, we pray. In the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen, amen. Before you sit down, I want you to turn to the person next to you. I want you to open your eyes as wide as you can and say, my eyes are wide open. Then you can sit down. Go ahead. My eyes are wide open. They're wide open. Hey, can we give some honor to our worship teams? You guys in the East as well. We appreciate you guys. Thank you. Also, I want to just celebrate. Before we jump into the Word, I want to celebrate and I want to honor everybody who gave sacrificially to the MOVE campaign. One very significant item has just been completed. Uh, at the Valley Campus, we've got a brand new kids facility that's open today. And we're so excited about that. So I'm just praising God. What a gift. Uh, you know, the, the, the buildings are, they're not the church, we're the church, but these are tools that God gives us to be the church. And so I'm so thankful for our kids being able to be brought up and taught about Jesus in that space. Back when I was a kid, anyway, I find myself saying that more, more and more. A few weeks ago, uh, I was driving down the Mackay Highway heading from Quispamsis, or Rossay actually, got off the Rossay exit and I was heading down into St. John and my wife Melanie was sitting next to me and we went past a sign I'd never seen before, I'd never noticed it and there was this sign and it said Stonehammer Geopark. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever noticed that sign? Not very many of you, this helps, this helps, good. So we're driving by and I see this sign, Stonehammer Geopark. And I'm like, Stonehammer Geopark? Melanie, there's a Geopark. 
And she's like, she gave me that look that I've, I've seen it more times than I'd like to have seen in my life. But it's that same look that I kind of picture Jesus when he was frustrated with the disciples. Many times they would say something stupid and Jesus would say, really, how long do I have to put up with you? Are you so dull? I had the, are you so dull look from my wife. She's perfected it with me anyway. And she looks at me, she's so smart. So anyway, she looks at me and she looks at me and she says, that sign has been there for at least multiple years now. At least. And for me, this was the first time I'd noticed the great Stonehammer Geopark. I didn't even know it was a thing. And then I finally saw that sign just a few weeks ago. Here's my point on this. Have you ever seen something that was there all along and you just never saw it? Have you ever seen something that was in plain sight? That sign was not hiding from me. It was there. I just never noticed it. Have you ever noticed something or found something or seen something that you hadn't seen before, but it was there all along? Maybe you walked into a patio door once or twice. Anybody being honest in church? That's the best. But we've all had that experience, and it can be an inconsequential thing, like finding a sign to a geopark that I'm probably just between me and you, probably not going to go to. I love geoparking, whatever that is, but I'm probably not going to go to the geopark. Maybe I will. I don't know. But it can be inconsequential. It can, it can be, or it can be a joyous thing, right? When you find something or you see something for the first time, you never notice. Maybe it's like you were looking for your keys all over, and then you go back to a place that you were sure you checked your pocket, and there they are. Right? That moment of, oh, that's, that's awesome. I saw something I hadn't seen before. Maybe you figured something out or you, you, you realized something. They can be joyous things, but a lot of the time, when we see something we hadn't seen before, these can be painful things as well. Have you ever talked to someone who goes through a difficult time? Sometimes they'll say, I didn't see it coming, didn't even see it coming. Uh, and then I got the doctor's report or maybe someone's marriage that failed. You'll talk to someone and I'll, usually one party, I didn't, I didn't see us growing apart. I didn't even notice that she'd grown cold to me. We know that feeling of seeing something all of a sudden that we hadn't seen even though it was there all along. We know that it's possible to see something you'd not seen before, to notice something you'd not noticed before, but it's actually been there all along. Have you ever had that experience before? This is a four of us, okay. Y'all, we can go home because I'm setting the whole thing up on that experience. Yeah, we've all had that experience, and this is what I'm going to set up our talk today and for the next several weeks on, is this idea of seeing what you had not seen, of coming awake or aware to something that you'd never been awake or aware to. We're starting a brand new series today. I'm so excited about this. It's called The Unveiling. This idea of seeing a reality or seeing a world that you'd not actually seen before. And the Bible talks a lot about sight, and it talks about it in a spiritual sense, Mostly that, that, that there's actually, we're born blind. In 2 Corinthians 4, if I could have read the whole chapter, I just read one part, but it talks about how, how actually Satan, the enemy, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. And it's through the gift of faith through Jesus Christ that our eyes are open. The Bible says that he's the light of the world. And so what I want to do for the next few weeks is I want to see what we haven't seen before. I want to come to the Bible and I want it to speak to us and maybe illuminate some things that we had not seen before. Here's the basis. We're going to operate on this assumption that there's more to see in this world than you are currently seeing. And there is more to see in your life than you are currently seeing. And there's more to see in your circumstances than you are currently seeing. We're going to operate on that assumption that you are not currently seeing all there is. 
You are not currently seeing all it is. And we're going we're gonna to do this. This is going to be a topical biblical Bible series. What we're going to do is we're going to explore this topic of the unveiling. And we're going to do it by looking at a couple people's stories in the Old Testament. I haven't preached out of the Old Testament in a while. And I was itching to do it. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn it to 2 Kings chapter 6. If you don't have one, why don't you put your hand up. And one of our lovely volunteers with red shirts will give you one. That's our gift to you. 2 Kings chapter 6. As you're turning there, I want to talk about who we're going to talk about for the next few weeks. We are going to look at the stories, some stories, from the great seers, the great prophets, Elijah and Elisha. The Old Testament had occasionally, throughout the history and throughout the chronology of the Old Testament, you would have these people called prophets. Prophets were God's instrument at a given time to not only speak God's word, but to reveal God's reality. And they were known as seers. They were people that were seeing on a different level. They were seeing God's word and seeing God's will and way and truth in a way that no one else was. And so God would always raise up a prophet for his people to help them see better to help them see from his perspective. And so we're going to look at arguably the best two prophets, at least their stories are the most fun. But Elijah is probably the most famous prophet in the Old Testament. And then Elisha is his protege. Elisha was the guy that was mentored by Elijah. And before Elijah was taken up to heaven, Elisha asked him for a double portion of his anointing. And Elisha got it. Did you know that Elisha, the, the, you know, the, the remix... He actually did twice the amount of works and miracles that Elijah did. And so it's going to be a cool time. We're going to look at both of these prophets and we're going to ask God, what are you saying to us through their stories? Is that okay? Sound good? Yes. Good. Second Kings chapter six. Let's jump in. I hope you're ready for some Bible. We're going there. That's what we do here. If you're just checking us out and like, oh, Bible, that's, that's it. That's, I got one trick. Bible. That's what we're doing. I hope, I hope you'll find out, though, that it's awesome. Second Kings chapter 6. We're going to jump right in. I hope this is going to come to life for you. It says this. When the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers and say, we'll mobilize our forces at such and such a place. Now, that's not actually a place. There was no place known as such and such a place. This is, this is speaking generally. It says, but immediately Elisha, the prophet, the man of God, would warn the king of Israel. Now get this in your mind. Do not go near that place for the Arameans are planning to mobilize their troops there. So the king of Israel would send word to that place indicated by the man of God. And time and time again, Elisha warned the king so that he would be on alert there. The king of Aram became very upset over this and he called his officers together and demanded, which of you is the traitor? Who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? It's not us, the Lord, my king. One of the officers replied, Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel, even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom, he knows everything. Go and find out where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops and seize him. And the report came back, Elisha is at Dothan. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. 
So I want to paint this picture for us before we go any further. I want to just get this in your mind because what you see here sets the backdrop for, I believe, what the message God wants to speak to us. So it tells us a few things when you jump in. Uh, context is so important when you read your Bible. It tells us that Israel is at war with the, with the nation of Aram, the Arameans. So this is an ongoing war, and as wars go, they're, they're maneuvering and setting up attacks with one another. And it says that the king of Aram had, had uh, tried to ambush the Israelites on a multitude of times. He tried to set up a space where he was going to hit them by surprise, but to his surprise, every time he went to such and such a place, the Israelites were not in such and such a place. Somehow they knew not to go there. And so the king of Aram, he kind of flips out like you would because somebody, he thinks somebody is informing the king of Israel as to where we're going. Someone's giving us top, giving up top secret information. And so he does not assume that it's actually a prophet of God that's informing the king of Israel. He assumes that somebody within his ranks has traded on him. This is a traitor. He's a double agent, perhaps, and he's playing both sides. And so he starts to go through his ranks and he hits one of his officers and he says, who is informing on us? And to his surprise, the officers say, no one, my Lord. No one is informing on us but the prophet in Israel. It's no one on our side. It's someone on their side. And it's this prophet. He's amazing. God does amazing things through him. He's God's representative on earth. And he's telling the king of Israel everything the king of Israel needs to know as it pertains to this war. And so anytime you go anywhere, the prophet is letting the king of Israel know this. I was reading this this week, and this is totally an aside, and it's only gonna, you're only going to get this if you know what I'm talking about. But when I was thinking about this, can you imagine the look on the king of Aram's face when he finds out like it's this, it's this supernatural informant is hijacking his military plans? It reminded me of the men who stare at goats. Anybody, anybody remember that? Anybody see the movie or know the book? Actually, like it's actually U.S. military history where they went through a season where they invested in people who were like trying to work, use like telepathic energy and they were like trying to use paranormal activity to, 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 to win wars. But anyway, this is the one time in history that it was actually a thing. It was the prophet of Israel and he's, and he's informing on the Arameans. So this is what's happening. This is the context. So here's what the king does. The king of Aram decides, okay, this is futile to try to go and attack the Israeli army. I need to attack the prophet. And so he sends out spies to go find out where Elisha is. And he finds out he's in this city called Dothan. And so he mobilizes, the Bible says, a large army equipped with chariots and horses. Now in those days, chariots and horses were advanced technology. This is as though a bunch of Apache helicopters and fully armored tanks were rolling in around this city. He dispatches this large army, so large that it surrounds the entire city. This is what he does. He doesn't move in on Israel. He moves in on the prophet. Here's a principle. And this isn't the message today, but I thought I'd be, I, it would be a mistake to move past this. Did you know that we have an enemy in this world and he is smart enough to attack you at the source of your strength? Do you notice that the king of Aram doesn't decide to keep attacking and trying to find until he can engage in battle with the army of Israel? No, he's going to cut them off at the source of their strength. Okay, give me the prophet then. You ever found in your life, like those of you who are trying to follow Jesus, you ever found that, that the enemy attacks you right at your source of your strength? Like, okay, here's an example. It's supposed to snow tomorrow. Do you ever find that when you try to go to church, all quote unquote hell breaks loose? You ever found that? There is an enemy. You ever found the, the, the moment you go and you, you sit down and you open your Bible, 
And you get it ready and you, you clear your head and you get ready to hear from God and then what happens? Your phone starts blowing up, right? You ever, you ever done that? Anybody, you know what I'm talking about? Like it's uncanny. The doorbell rings or some kid barfs. Like that's what happens <laughs> as soon as you're trying to go before the Lord. I, true story, it happens. Or the cat wants out. Or it's, just, it's, it's uncanny how often the moment you go to your source of strength, which is God, the moment you try to do something to actually engage with God, the enemy comes at you at that place. That's why getting to church is so hard consistently. That's why reading your Bible is so hard consistently. That's why praying is so hard consistently because the enemy is trying to attack you at the source of your greatest strength. And that's what the king of Aram does. He mobilizes this great army and he surrounds the city. So let's jump back in. Verse 14 says, So one night the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. And now the, the camera pans back to Elisha and his servant, and it says this in verse 15. When the servant of the man of God, that's Elisha, got up early in the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Everywhere. Like, everywhere. I, everywhere he looked, there was a full-out assault surrounding him. And the language does not quite do it justice here in English. But basically, what's it say here? It says, oh, sir, what shall we do now? That's, that's kind of what it sounds like, isn't it? Oh, sir, what shall we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. That, I, I don't know how to translate that other than, holy crap! <laughs> We're cooked. We're, we, are, we are sunk. There is nothing. We're, we're dead. We are dead. It was full-on panic mode. Full-on panic mode. He is, anyway, he is full-on panicking. I was going to say something inappropriate. He is full-on panicking because everywhere he looks, he is surrounded by an enemy that is more powerful than him, that he has no chance at overcoming. And so he runs to the man of God and he says, what are we going to do now? We're surrounded. I can't go north, we can't go east, we can't flee. They've surrounded the city. There is nowhere to run. We are done like dinner. We're cooked. Have you ever felt surrounded? Have you ever felt like everywhere you turn, that situation you're in or that circumstance you are in, you can't get away from it? You can't escape it. You can't outrun it. You can't outthink it. You, 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 it's everywhere you look. When you wake up in the morning, that person, that issue is right on your mind. That concern is right there. You see, the, the, the man of God's servant woke up and he saw that they're surrounded. There's nowhere I can look that I don't see this opposition. Completely surrounded by this enemy army. You had those moments before where you wake up some morning and like it's that day where you open your eyes and you're surrounded by an issue or a circumstance. That conversation you had, maybe you're at the doctor's office and you see them come through and they're trying to hide their face and, and not, not show how, what they're about to say, but you know what they're about to say and they, they hold their piece of paper down and they say, I have bad news. You're surrounded, it's cancer. Or maybe you're at home one night and, you, and the doorbell rings and a police officer shows up with your teenage son. You're surrounded. Or maybe even worse, you've been at your house and a police officer has rung the door without that one you love. 
surrounded. You ever, you ever felt surrounded by an issue, surrounded by a circumstance you can't get away from it, no matter how hard you try, no matter how, how much you wish, no matter how hard you work, it's just not going away. It's just always right there. You go to bed thinking about it. You get up thinking about it. You go to church thinking about it. You go to work thinking about it. It's just right there. And some of you, I know, because this is a large crowd right here. I know there are a multitude. You, you, right now you're surrounded. You can't get away from it. Our relationship is falling apart. Every, every time, everywhere I move, I can't do anything right with him. We're, we're just not on the same page anymore. Surrounded by it. We're surrounded. By, no matter what I do, this, this family issue is just not getting resolved. You know, this kid is off the rails and he is not coming back and there's nothing I can do. I can't, I can't bail on him. He's my son, but, but I, can't, I can't fix it either. It's just right there. You know what I'm saying? You ever felt surrounded? This is the picture the Bible paints. This is what, this is what it's getting at. What, here's the question I want to ask you. What do you do when you find yourself surrounded by opposition? What do you do when you find yourself surrounded by a diagnosis that you can't beat? What do you do when you find yourself surrounded by a family issue that you know I don't have answers for? What do you do when you find yourself surrounded by something you've been wishing and hoping and contending for that it would change and it just hasn't changed yet? What do you do? Here's what most of us do. If you're like me, with these issues in our lives, these things that confront us, those mornings where we wake up and we see we are surrounded by an enemy, what we try to do is if you're like me, we try to unsee it, don't we? Isn't that what you do? Like, like that's what we do. We, if, something, if we see something bad is coming at us, our first reaction is to not see it. Am I right? Talk to me, church. Yes. I'm trying to not see this crowd not talking to me right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here's an example. This is, this is our reaction. This is the world's reaction to when we are surrounded by trouble or surrounded by an issue. I remember I was six years old. I was at Disney World, my first time ever to be to Disney World. My parents took me there back in like 1989. And there we are, and I, I don't even want to picture what I was wearing or what I looked like. I'm pretty sure I had a rat tail and, 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 and spikes. I'm just saying, cool, huh? And there we are, and my dad took me and my little cousin and my uncle, and we, we went into this ride. I still remember, I don't remember a lot from when I was six. I remember this because it scarred me for life. They took me into this ride, and some of you might know what it is, but we went into this ride called Captain EO. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Well, let me tell you what Captain EO was. Captain EO was a Disney attraction uh, back in the late 80s, early 90s, starring none other than the late great king of pop, Michael Jackson. <laughs> I had to do that, sorry. My, my, my wife's shaking her head, trying to kind of hide. And this, this, this story where Michael Jackson and these alien puppets fly through the cosmos fighting this, this galactic witch through the power of dance. <laughs> and, and, uh, I'll dance if that'll wake you up. I really will. Don't even. <laughs> My wife. <laughs> My wife, my wife is just dying right now. And so I'm in there and I'm six years old and there are these really creepy, it's funny, I, I looked it up on YouTube, it legit is creepy. I, I can find the actual video, it's terrifying. Look it up when you get home, don't. And I'm there and I remember sitting next to my dad and I'm getting scared, like I'm getting, I'm, I'm like getting tears, I'm freaking out, I'm six years old. Like, well, dad, come on, man, are you watching? My dad's in Florida right now. Why did you do that to me? 
And there we are, and I remember like, like just freaking out, and he, and, he, and he says what any good dad would say, oh, it's not real. Just, just close your eyes, right? That's, that's, that's it. That's the advice that we usually give ourselves or one another when something bad's about to happen. Don't look, right? Ignorance is bliss. If I can't see it, it's not there, right? Like that's the, that's the answer. Just close your eyes. And I was scarred for life. The damage was done. But that's what we do in life. Most of us live our lives. In fact, actually all of us to some degree and in some season of our lives or in some way or in some area are living our lives with our eyes closed because that is our gut response. That is our innate response to the fact that everywhere you look in this world, you are surrounded. And most days we do a pretty good job, don't we, of not thinking about the fact that we are surrounded on all sides with opposition. There are the things that are currently happening in this world. If you're like me, don't judge me for this. I'm not trying to be funny. There are times where I just can't watch CNN. I can't watch the news because I, I just don't, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see the famine. I don't want to see the wars. I don't want to see that. I don't want to get pulled into it. Just, I just don't want to see it. Just close your eyes. Do you know what I mean? There's the things that are happening right now. There's the things that might happen. Like we do a really good job, but most days not thinking about what could happen, don't we? And, and that's not healthy. You shouldn't do that. But we do a pretty good job not thinking about the fact that any, at any moment an asteroid could come and take us out or at any moment, like, do you know if the world like tilted at any, like even a degree, like we'd either freeze or burn up, like at any moment, the things that could go wrong are astronomical. We do a really good job not thinking about that. And then, of course, none of us think about the fact that you're going to die someday. Welcome to King's Church. I hope you're feeling uplifted and you are uh, feeling empowered. <laughs> it's true, though. Until we have that day where we wake up and someone we love died and, boof, we're hit with our own mortality. Where we wake up that day and someone, we get that diagnosis and then, boof, okay, I do have an expiry date. It's, it's right in front of me. I can't even get away from it. You see, we spend most of our lives trying to avoid and not think about the issues that actually really do surround us right now. And so what we do is we try not to see it. Just don't see it. Just don't look. Just close your eyes. And so, so many of us will just try to avoid it as long as we can. Like, I'll just pretend that it's not there. I'll just, I'll just avoid it. It's, it's this mechanism within us that where we try to avoid our issues. Think about this. Like I, if you're like me, if you have something going on in your body where, where you know that's not right, I should probably get that checked out. But you don't want to get it checked out because if you get it checked out, the doctor might say something that's bad. Right? So you don't go because I'm just going to, you know what? It's going to fix itself. Or my car, for instance. My car right now is making the most ungodly sounds. But I don't want to go to the mechanic and find out what's really going on or pay the bill to find out what's really going on, right? Maybe it'll fix itself, right? Just avoid it. Or ignore it. I'm just going to pretend that it's not there. I'm just going to, I can't think about that right now. But you know what we mostly do in this world? We medicate it. We medicate the things that we see that we can't escape. Sometimes you can't escape it. And so what you do, your only option is you can't break through it. You can't get beyond it. And so we medicate it. We'll, we'll, we'll eat or we'll, 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 get, we'll get just sucked into some stupid hobby to try to just distract us from the things that are actually right in front of us. I just got to clear my head. I, gotta, I just got to take the edge off, right? That's what alcohol is. Alcohol is taking the edge off. Did you know that alcohol is a depressant? 
It's actually made to dilute your senses. It's made to, to, to pull you back. This is, why the, this is what the, uh, Paul, and I'll, I'll preach on this someday. But Paul talks about alcohol. He says, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to talk about this. But God's desire for you is not to actually be depressed or de, de, like to, he actually wants to enhance your life. He wants to enhance your senses. And alcohol is actually doing the opposite. Drugs are actually doing the opposite. There are drugs that don't necessarily aren't depressants, but they're distortants. They distort they will, they will twist reality so you can bear it. They'll give you a false sense of reality, a high, a different kind of just a temporal perspective. And so that's what we do. Most of us live our lives with our eyes closed because there are things surrounding us that are frankly terrifying, painful, inescapable, uncomfortable. And here's the question, what do we do? Because that's our gut reaction. I just, just, I just, just close your eyes. But here's what the Bible says. Watch what happens next. Verse 15 says, When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what do we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Don't be afraid. There are more on our side than on theirs. What does Elisha do? Now, first thing I want you to note is this. Elisha is not scared. And he encourages his servant to not be afraid either. And then he points him to look at something. He says, don't be afraid. I want you to notice something. Don't close your eyes. Don't, don't run away. Don't avoid it. I want you to see Further, actually what Elisha does and what the word of God invites you to do when you are surrounded is actually not to run from your problems, not to pretend they're not there, not to medicate yourself so you can stomach it. It actually invites you to look straight at it and then beyond it to see a reality that's even greater than what surrounds you. This is what the word of God's getting at. And Elisha says, don't be afraid. There's actually more to see. Basically, what he's saying is this. Oh, you see those horses and chariots? That's not all there is to see. There is more to see. There's more to see. Elisha essentially says this. You know what, servant? Your problem is not what you are seeing. That's there. Yep. That's intense. But your problem is not in what you are seeing. Your problem is in what you are not seeing. And you will find the answer to your fear in what you are currently not seeing. He's saying you need to open your eyes to more. You need to see through or beyond or above what is surrounding you. Here's the premise. And here's what we're going to be talking about for the next several weeks. But I need to just push this on you. There is right now in this very moment, regardless of what surrounds you, I want to tell you on the authority of God's word that there's more to see than your cancer diagnosis. There's more to see than that son or daughter who will not come back to God for some reason. There's more to see in your circumstances than what's right here. There's a whole reality behind surrounding what surrounds you. And Elisha says, you got to see this. You need to see that there's actually more to see. You need to, you need to, the answer to the problems in your life is not not looking. It's not just close your eyes. It's actually open them more. Look deeper. Look further 
see what's more. And this is what the Bible tries to do from beginning to end. This book is about helping you see more. And did you know that Jesus's central message, the Bible says Jesus came to save sinners. He came to give his life up as ransom. But did you know what his central message was? He went around teaching and preaching and his central message was this, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. You know what repent means? Loose translation, but it basically means take another look. Look further, look again, look again. There's, there's more. Repent for the kingdom is at hand. The invitation of the Bible is for you to understand that there is a reality in the unseen. There's a reality that you cannot touch or taste or feel, but it is very much there. And Jesus says you need to look deeper. There is a whole reality, a kingdom, God's domain that exists right here, woven through the fabric of space and time. It is right here. The Bible tells us that there's more to see. It says, first and foremost, the Bible would paint the picture that there, do you know that there's more you don't know than you do know? Did you know that there's more yet to find out than what you have already discovered? How easy is it for us in our lives to feel like, even though none of us would say it, do you know everything, check in the box, yes or no, you would say no. But how often do we not live our lives day to day like this is it? Everything within the confines of my understanding and experience, that is the limits of reality. But the Bible would tell you, no, you, you, don't, you don't know anything. You, you, you don't you even scratch the surface. The Bible talks about mystery at length. It talks about like, oh, the depths of the riches of the knowledge of God. Who can fathom it? Who can even, you can't even, you don't even know what you don't know. There's more going on in this world than we know. And, and if, if I can help you in any way today, that, that, that if I can just get you out of that bubble that we all find ourselves in where, you know what, if I didn't read it in a textbook or I didn't see it on, on TV or I didn't see it in a documentary, then, that's, then it's not real. Do you know that even in the world of science, they're constantly, constantly discovering what they didn't know they didn't know? Like, I read this week that this year, this year, let me get this right. Scientists discovered over 2 million new species of plants, animals, and microbes on Earth. This year, we've been here a while. Like, where were they hiding? Like, would you have thought that if I asked you, how many new species do you think they found this year? Someone would say, seven. Right? <laughs> 2 million. Like, we don't even know, like, we know less about what's in the ocean than some of the things we know about in the stars. And actually, most of the leading scientists that are out on the fringe of discovery, they would all tell you, we don't, we, we, we know so very little. Even the ones that would say there is no God, which ironically, I find science, like, how that has become a trap for people to say that there is no God. All science is it's just putting names and labels on what God has made. And like, if you find those people that are out on the fringes of discovery, like they're going to tell you, like, if you look at the universe and the cosmos, do you know that they say essentially like 94% of the cosmos, they can't qualify or quantify. They call it dark matter. They don't even know really what it is. It's just, it's just, it's just there. We don't, we don't know. We don't really know a lot, basically. There is more than what you know. There's a book in the Bible called Job. It's the oldest book in the Bible. And I think it's there. I think it's probably the first book of the Bible for a reason. It's the oldest anyway, because it goes through this experience where this man Job goes through this terrible, terrible trial. 
You talk about being surrounded. The man lost his family, lost his wife, lost his possessions, lost his riches, lost his servants, lost his animals. The guy lost everything. Talk about being surrounded. And naturally, he started to get a little ticked at God. And near the end of the book of Job, you find Job and God having it out. And, and it's the most beautiful passage. God almost like, God gets a little, a little, a little ticked at him. And, and he says, all right, brace yourself. We're going to talk. You want answers? And he, God basically says, where were you when I hung the sun in the sky? And Job, where were you when I decided to let the, the Atlantic Ocean run here and the Pacific here? Where were you when I told the Himalayas you can come this high and no higher? Where were you when I hung the stars in the sky and I decided that I'm going to put a nebula right there and a black hole over there? Where were you? What do you know, Job? And he humbles Job and reminds him that you think you know everything within the confines of your little surroundings, but there is much more surrounding what surrounds you. You don't even know what you don't know. There's more. The Bible will tell you there's more you don't know than you know. The Bible will tell you there's more before you than behind you. The oldest person in our church, I'm pretty sure, is Jim Ellis. He's like 100. He's 100. 101? 101? 102? 102 this year, and he comes every week. Jim is not old in the eyes of God. Do you know that you are an eternal soul? That you will exist forever and ever and ever? Like, like the, 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 the irony even of us saying, well, you know, my time's, my, not that anyone would say that, but my time's getting short, right? Like, no, it's not. You haven't even, you could be 102 like Jim, you haven't even exhaled your first breath of your existence. Eternity goes on and on and on forever. Do you know that there's more in front of you than behind you? The Bible would also tell you that you stand more to gain than you stand to lose. Like some of you, you think you're losing everything. Not if, you, if you give yourself to God and you see his reality, you stand more, there's more you stand to gain than you stand to lose in this life. And in the next life, the Bible is just littered in the best sense of the word with promises. It's chock full of promises from beginning to the end where, where God is saying, I'll bless you. I will prosper you. I'll establish you. The Bible says at the right hand of God are pleasures forevermore. Do you know that God, in God, there's more pleasure than, than you will ever imagine? He, the Bible talks about it from beginning to end. Jesus at one point says, I'm the bread of life. I am the bread that actually satisfies you. And I never, we, I never run out. You never go hungry. You stand more to gain, you stand to lose. Do you know that there's more for you than against you? And this is the heart of what Elisha was getting at. He says, you need to open your eyes and you need to see in spite of this opposition, in spite of this enemy, in spite of this situation, there is much more lined up on your side than what is against you. There is much more for you than that which is against you. The Bible says in Psalm 3, David says, you are a shield about me. You see, the picture that Elisha wants his servant to see is that God surrounds what surrounds you. God is behind and beyond the cancer diagnosis. God is behind and beyond your debt problem. God is behind and beyond and swallowing and engulfing all of the things that are right here. God is around it. Can you see it? That's the invitation. Romans 8.31, Paul concludes, well, if God is for us, who can be against us? I guess I don't need to be afraid because what's cancer compared to God Almighty? 
You know, what's, what's my debt problem compared to God Almighty? This is the conclusion the Bible would have you understand. Or whatever your issue is, if God is for you, the invitation Elisha would have you, you, you have is that you need to see beyond what surrounds you and see that there is more for you than against you. Someone needs to hear that. You feel like the world's against you. Do you know that God is for you? If God is for you, the world can be against you. It doesn't stand a chance. God invites us to see the army, to see what surrounds us. I think, just an aside, I, I think that's why people struggle sometimes with Christians because there are Christians who, do, who really use religion as a way to just not look at reality either. You know, like the, they're, the, the people that live in denial, like they live in denial, like, no, it's not there. I don't, I'm not sick. I don't have cancer. Yeah, you have cancer. But the invitation here is that you see the cancer, but you see the healing that lies beyond it in Jesus. That's what Elisha is getting at. You know what? Yeah, the Aramean army is here. It very well may just rise up against us and kill us. But God is for us and there is more surrounding them than there is more for us than against us. Watch this. Let's, 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 let's get there here. Verse 17. It says, Then Elisha prayed, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes and when he looked up, he saw the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. As the Aramean army advanced toward him, Elisha prayed, oh Lord, please make them blind. This is kind of a cool, I love how it, this is all about sight. Make them blind. So they, the Lord struck them with blindness. Actually, the, the original Hebrew is more about confusion. It says, Elisha had asked, just as Elisha had asked, then Elisha went out and told them, you've come the wrong way. This isn't the right city. Follow me and I'll take you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to the city of Samaria. And this it goes on and actually he leads them uh, to safety as well. It's a cool story, but I want to just note something here that everything shifted when the servant was able to see in the unseen. Fear went away and the army became conquered when the servant was able to see what is in the unseen. And here's my simple point today. How would your life change if you opened your perspective up to see what is more? If you, in the next time you feel surrounded, you decided, you know what? There's more going on in this world and I will look to what is unseen because what is unseen is eternal and what is seen is temporary. This is temporary. Cancer is temporary. Dysfunction is temporary. Disease is temporary. Loss is temporary. But the unseen is eternal and I will look at the unseen. How would you change your life if you looked at the unseen and not the seen? Uh, every year this time, I, most every year I try to, it's been a couple years, I try to watch back through the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I know I'm a huge nerd. It's awesome. Yes, thank you. My people, my people. And uh, I was watching it last week and I was on like the two towers. It's, it's episode two. And Samwise and Frodo are scaling down this like rocky cliff and they're, they're heading into Mordor and it's getting darker and more intense and they're getting more afraid and they can't see anything. It's just, it's just fog everywhere. And Frodo and Sam are, are scaling down and Sam yells to Frodo, Mr. Frodo, pretty good, right? Mr. <laughs> Mr. Frodo. Can you see the bottom? And he's like, no, I can't. How much further? I don't know. They can't see. And then some wind gushes up and then and Sam and Frodo start to shake and Frodo falls off the rope. Ah, and he goes out of, that wasn't bad either. Ah. And he goes, out of, he goes out of sight. 
And then Sam freaks out, Mr. Frodo! He starts yelling, and then all you hear is his voice. I think I found the bottom. <laughs> and I got thinking about that because I've been meditating on this. Like, how would they have, they would have climbed very differently if they knew the bottom was right there, as opposed to it could have been 100 or 1,000 feet. How does your life change when your perspective changes? Your, here, here is something you need to know as we kind of jump into this series. You will live squarely within the confines of your paradigm. And so the invitation God gives you is to actually expand your paradigm into what you cannot see. Because what there is a reality there that is in the unseen that you have to see through the eye of faith. But when you open the eye of faith, it actually changes everything in the now. When you see through faith, it actually changes how you live your life. This is why Paul, the Apostle Paul, in all of his letters, it was constantly pleading to his recipients, you need to see what's more. I know you're being persecuted. I know you're being hunted like animals. I know that this is tough. I know it's bad, but there's more. And, and Paul one time wrote this in Ephesians chapter 1. He said this to the Ephesians. Now, being a Christian in the first century was not an easy task. And he wrote this, he says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, and I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Now watch this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us. What's he saying? I pray that the eye of your heart, the eye of faith would be open, that you will operate on the assumption that God is for me, who can be against me. That on the assumption that what I stand to gain is far outweighing whatever I will lose in this life. Paul's saying, I hope that the eye of your heart is open so you realize that, that God's healing is greater than my disease, even if that comes in the next life. I hope that the eye of your heart is open so that you realize that, that those who are for us are greater than those who are against us. I hope you open your eyes, that the eye of your heart is open in such a way that you see that, that God's goodness will outweigh and outshine any death or destruction or decay you face in this life. And what happens when you do that, when you live life with like wide-eyed faith, and this is my prayer for us as we go into this season, that we would start to learn how to live with wide-eyed faith in such a way that everything starts to shift and change. When you operate on what is unseen as opposed to what is seen, when you operate on the reality of God and you let God's reality define your moment, define your situation, everything shifts. When we live with wide-eyed faith, it makes the possibilities in our life different. This is why Paul at one point, he said, put on the helmet Put on the helmet of salvation. In Thessalonians, he calls it the helmet of, of hope. He says, live with the assumption that, you know what? No matter what happens to me, I'm saved. I'm redeemed. I'm going to live forever. Jesus saved me. Nothing can happen to me. This is why he said in Romans 8, he said, what can, what can separate us? From the love of God, can, can death or famine, nakedness or sword? No, and all these things are more than conquerors. That's what it means to wear the helmet of hope. It means looking at this situation and saying, ah, yeah, but there's more. My God is greater. And it's working and living off of that reality. It makes your possessions different. You see your possessions different when you live with wide-eyed faith. 
all of a sudden that stuff that when you operate in this space and in this world, well, that's really valuable to me. But when you operate in the unseen reality, all of a sudden there are things that are much more valuable. This is why Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy it. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven that will last forever. This is why sometimes people look at Christians and say, why, you, you, you give 10% of your, of your income? You give 20% of your income to, to Jesus? And they think you're crazy. Like, why would you do that? Oh, well, yeah, that's crazy within this, but I live within this. I know the baker. I know the one who can provide for me any day, any way, any time he wants. See, everything shifts when you operate on what is unseen as opposed to what is seen. It, it makes your purpose different. You're willing to take risks that you'd never take before. You're, you find life in ways like, like life all of a sudden in this world and in this reality, being powerful or being famous or being wealthy, that really matters a lot. But in God's reality, being faithful and being gracious and being mature in Christ, that matters a whole lot more. I always think sometimes that we're going to end up, we're going to Stand before God someday, and some of the people we celebrate the most are people you would have, you wouldn't know their name, you wouldn't know what they did with their life. Because there's a level of purpose we find in God that only we find in God. It changes how we see people. When we operate in what is unseen, we can no longer see that woman as just a piece of meat. We can no longer see that guy as all, all you are is a drug addict. Nope, there's more for you. I see more in you. you. You can't see that kid as, you know what? You don't stand a chance. No, when we, when we open our mind to the unseen and we let the reality of Jesus inform our now, it changes everything. You have to see people differently. Did you know that? Like you see someone as, you know that every person you meet, we should see as pre-great that God has a destiny for them that's so far outweighs and so beyond anything they've even imagined. That's God's desire for every person. You can't see, it changes how you see people. It changes how you pray. You no longer just pray like to make yourself feel better or you don't just pray out of some religious obligation. All of a sudden when you pray and you, the eye of your heart is open and you're, you're seeing things in the unseen, then all of a sudden you are connecting into the very presence and power of God when you pray. And ultimately, and I just want to encourage the one here who's going through, like you're right in this. When you open the eye of faith, when you live with wide-eyed faith and you choose not to close your eyes or run away, it changes how you do pain. It changes the pain of this life. Because the Bible tells us, no, okay, there, there's pain. Paul said at one point, there may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. He said in 2 Corinthians 4, that's what he was talking about. He, he, he goes, we do not lose heart. Like if whatever you're going through, we do not lose heart. Though, though there's pain, it's, it's really happening. But these light and momentary afflictions are preparing for us an eternal glory that far outweighs anything we're going through. But so we fix our eyes on what is unseen, not on what is seen. See, when we open the eye of faith, it changes everything. I want to ask you a couple questions. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to be done. Here's a question. What surrounds you right now? Y'all have them. At very least, your own mortality, if everything's great, someday it won't be. What surrounds you right now? And the question I would ask you is, what do you see? Is this it? Is this everything? Or is there, is there, is there more? Is there, is there more for you? 
I just came today and I want to just give us this encouragement. Maybe I'll ask you to stand even. We'll invite the band back. I'm going to pray, but I, I don't want to leave. If someone's saying, what's the point of this? It seemed a little like, the point is this. You need to know this, that there is more for you to see in this life. There is more for you to, to experience in this life that, that God has more for you. You need to hear that. And you might, be, you might be dying of terminal illness. There's still more for you. God has more for you. And, and, and so you need to open your eye of faith. And it's, some of you are probably pushing back saying, yeah, well, I don't have a prophet to stand there and pray for me that I can see chariots of fire. If I can see chariots of fire, then all of a sudden I might feel better. Do you know we do have a prophet? His name is Jesus. And he is the one who actually operated in the unseen that became reality. You know what? They thought they were surrounded by loss when they saw him on a cross. They didn't realize, no, that's actually victory. They thought that hope was gone when they buried him in a grave, but they didn't realize, oh no, that's actually, he's actually conquering everything. Jesus actually rose again. They thought everything was lost. Everything was over. And he rose in victory to actually be our focus. That when we look at Jesus, that's what it means to fix your eyes on what is unseen. Fix your eyes on on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He will, be, he will complete what he began. And so some of you just need this encouragement today. Do not let this convince you that that's all you are or that's all there is or that's all there ever will be. There is more for you and it's found in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you today that you are for us, not against us. That our latter days will be better than our former days. That that is your promise. You promise us. God, I thank you that even with the most just difficult situations happening right now, we thank you that in Christ Jesus, we are more than conquerors. We thank you that by your stripes, we are healed forever and ever and ever. We thank you that we are saved by grace, not by works. We thank you that the reality that Jesus Christ has established will swallow the temporary. and We'll be brought up in glory. So God, I pray for the one here today who's just they can't escape it and they're trying to not see it. I pray, Lord, that they wouldn't try to unsee it, but they try to see what is unseen. We ask, God, I pray, just like Paul prayed, I pray for all of us, God, that you would open the eye of our hearts. You would enlighten the eye of our hearts and you'd give us the ability to walk with wide-eyed faith. And we'd see that burden and we'd see that situation and we'd see that issue through the eyes of faith. And we know that we stand more to gain than what we stand to lose. And there's still more to come than what's behind us, that, that there's so much more. And so God, would you just open our minds today, open our eyes today, that we would live our lives in the unseen. We pray this in the mighty, matchless name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Are you thankful today that Jesus is your victory? Are you thankful? Do you know that Jesus has conquered right now? Like he has conquered, that Jesus is victory, that he is hope, that he is life, that he is peace, that he is joy. He is all you need. And the invitation is to look beyond this and focus your eyes on Jesus. Let's worship him as we go.